everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark Low Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey colon slash slash URI Knockreiner. <laughs> what happens when we click on your links? Corey colon slash slash, I don't know. Click one and find out. <laughs> pass. On today's like episode... F around and find out. You don't have to beep F. On today's episode, uh, we will be discussing URI protocol handlers and one specifically that Microsoft has now disabled. Before that, we'll give an update on the Lapsus Hacking Collective saga. Uh, we'll go over some poor password practices by a Spanish mobile telecom. And then finally discover or chat about a recently discovered macOS backdoor malware. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, roll our way in. Wait, click on it? Click on it. So, uh, man, welcome back, Corey. Yeah, you too, man. I hope everyone, uh, I hope you and everyone out there had a great Christmas, a great holiday, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or Happy New Year, whatever holidays you celebrate. I hope you you kicked their butts and are back refreshed and happy for a new year. I'm uh, feeling recharged right before immediately being thrown to the fire of actually working in cybersecurity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem. I had a nice long break that recharged me until I got back and 700 cybersecurity issues we have to deal with came came up. So yep. it goes away quick. <laughs> but uh, I figured with this episode, we could start by recapping a couple of things that we missed while we were off the, while we were off the air for the holidays before going into a couple of uh, news stories from recent events as well, too. The first one is uh, an update on a saga that we've talked about for two years now, I think, is when it originated. If you remember back in 2021, a uh, hacking collective known as Lapsus, with a dollar sign on the end, uh, managed to conduct several very high-profile compromises of fairly major companies. Uh, Uber was the big one that I remember, where they basically gained God Mode access to everything on Uber's network and started posting screenshots all over uh, what was then called Twitter at the time. Uh, NVIDIA was another big one. Uh, Microsoft and Rockstar Games were a few others. Uh, While the the kids, as they are, the teenagers associated with these breaches have been on trial for the past couple of years, off and on, as we'll get into in a second. But the leader of the group, uh, Arian Courage, out of Oxford, England, uh, was just committed to an indefinite hospital order after a judge found that they were unfit to stand trial. And this isn't a sling mud at any individual and you know the unfortunate circumstances that they're dealing with. Um, but there was one really interesting takeaway from the court filings and the court discussions in this case that I wanted to highlight. Uh, but before we get into I, that, they, about it, not slinging mud, I, uh, you know, as we'll hear, this person has autism and he's been put into a mental hospital, but I, I, I have a lot of, like mental illness is a real thing. I think a lot of the society is realizing that much more and it's something we should take seriously and help people with, but I still am a little, like it's not a freaking excuse. And as we talk about this story, I this person still irritates me, autism or not. But anyways, keep going, Mark, sorry. Yeah, so they were mostly committed largely to being violent while in custody. There were dozens of reports of injury or property damage while they were in custody, but also because they, quote, continued to express the interest to return to cybercrime as soon as possible. 
And we'll get into an example of that in just a second. But I think that's the one major red flag for me. Like you, you often see, you know, cyber criminals at some point even turn to the good side and make like long standing careers out of it too. Like Kevin Mitnick technically uh, <laughs> conducted a lot of criminal activity and even went to prison for it. And then he came back and became a, a well-known, I guess, white hat, as you'd call it, hacker leading several companies. This is yeah, an example and- of someone that is massively skilled but just does not seem to understand the concept of right versus wrong. Wrong. No more. I mean, it seems like besides the wanting to continue criminal activity while they're literally in a mental institute being prosecuted for criminal activity, uh, there's even things that apparently uh, he did to a couple of online girls. I I mean, that's what I I dislike. I mean, uh, mental illness should be serious, but I'm a little worried if criminality doesn't get uh, doesn't get some some sort of justice and prosecution, regardless of of mental illness or not. Yes, help them yeah. with mental illness, but I do think punishment is is something that should happen. And I know I'm digressing a little, Mark, before we get into the part you were interested because there's a lot in this story. But who I, I forgot his name, but I just thought there's another UK based. I feel like this is a, a now a theme in the UK. There was the guy that repeatedly hacked NASA and other U.S. governments. And he was really looking for aliens, but he hacked many, many government facilities. <laughs> and Tom at the DeLong end of the day, <laughs> uh, the UK would not extradite him and said he had a mental illness as well. And it, it's like the mental illness card. I mean, mental illness is mental illness. If you're prescribed, you should get be able to get help and there should be good help available. But I don't think you can use the mental illness card as an excuse for why you do crime. Yep. Yep. That is fair. In this case, it's really a shame because they are objectively a, I mean, for nefarious purposes, smart. Yeah. talented hacker in this case. Uh, for example, they gave an example during the court case where while they were on bail for their breach of NVIDIA and a few of the other companies, they were under police protection at a travel lodge hotel and they had had their laptop confiscated at this point, but they still managed to conduct their most notorious breach of Rockstar Games at this point using a mobile phone and the Amazon Fire Stick from their hotel room, which that's pretty dang impressive. And I'm trying to think like, uh, you know, it it sounds extreme, but what is the possible way they did that? I imagine, you know, a Fire Stick is generally just a Android and or Linux device. They could probably load their own, sideload their own application onto it, maybe through their phone. And then through that, use that like as a launching off point to conduct their activities. It's Pretty dang. Maybe I feel like the TV might have been the internet access for sure. Well, it would be the internet access because maybe their phone was cut off, but the phone was the primary computer. I mean, you can get into an Android CLI with it and do anything. By the way, I was using that as an excuse. I mean, this is why uh, Rockstar had to leak their Grand Theft 6 video. So I was using this excuse to to play that uh, trailer since all the gamers probably are anticipating that game. But yeah, yeah that, was... that's crazy. You're in a hotel, you're locked, locked away from your computer. You really should not have any technology act or internet access, in my opinion, if you're that type of criminal. And he was able to, to get into Rockstar. But, it but, seems like you know, a, uh, an example where the police were probably like, what could he possibly do with a mobile phone? Well, the reality is quite a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Because this was back in 2022 where, you know, Rockstar Games hadn't even announced their Grand Theft Auto 6 game yet. And he leaked a bunch of uh, internal video captures of it, as well as source code from the game as well, too. 
and basically was the one that spoiled the existence. I mean, not that no one assumed they weren't actively working on this game, but it was a pretty dang big deal. In fact, Rockstar claimed millions of dollars in damages because of this breach and responding to it and cleaning up and potential loss of revenue as well because of it. So it is, it's a serious deal. I just, that honestly impressed me a little bit that they were able to do what was then a pretty high profile attack using a fire I'm stick. I'm with you, but I, I don't care, Mark. Like if you're doing, <laughs> if you're using your, your skill for bad, you're bad. I like, unless you've changed for good, it is, I, I'm, I'm with you. We're always impressed sometimes, not always. We're sometimes impressed by the skills of these threat actors, but to me it's it's just it's wasting your freaking skill i mean he could have done he could have made money legitimately doing it so it just yes it, it is a lot of skill it is interesting too autism is one of those mental things that you uh, statistically some people are very very good at certain things but it, it gives them social weaknesses and other weaknesses maybe i'm probably not describing it the way a psychologist would so it's not that unusual in my opinion that someone that's autistic is really good at math or really good at music or really good at computing so or in this uh, case but really yeah good at crazy engineering. that's that's how the yeah, bulk of these breaches occurred yeah yeah so either way, this does appear to be, at least for now, the end of the saga of Lapsus. Uh, the, while it is an indefinite quote-unquote order, it's until he's fit to stand trial, and then they will actually stand trial for the criminal elements of this. I, I personally, I hope they get the help they need and can turn away from a life of crime, because I think you would agree they've got strong skills. It's just the complete lack yeah. of moral compass is awful. I don't think they should be in jail forever, but I think they should have some consequence besides being put in the mental institute. But I, I hope it's a fair consequence. And if five years from now, when they're in their 20s, they are leading a productive life and, and being a positive attribute to society using these these things, that would be great. And to me, by the way, again, this has nothing to do with the mental illness. I think the mental illness is just part of the story and why they're in the mental institute. But I, I, I do think they need to be prosecuted, you know, they need to suffer consequences for their crime. It is interesting to me, the youngness of lapsus, you know, uh, back when hacking, like when I started, when I was even younger than you here at WatchGuard, it was mostly web defacement. And it was always teenage kids. It was teenage kids just, and they weren't really doing anything to try to make money. It was certainly criminal, but they were just kind of trolling websites by defacing them. And after that, it turned to organized crime for a while, and it seemed to be very monetarily focused. So while when it turned monetarily focused, I assume the age of, of these criminal hackers probably varied. They're certainly, I mean, young tends to know technology better just because they grow up with it, but I expected it would be a wider range. It's funny to me to now see very young threat actors being the ones that are part of these groups, but unlike the defacers of the past who were just doing it for the lulls and joking, I mean, these guys, to some extent, you can see the video game guys just kind of trolling, but when they release these ransomwares for $4 million and they have these huge crypto, it, it feels like the, the young hackers of this age are more criminal than the young hackers of my age. So you could say, in a true. way, it's millennials ruining yet another thing in this world. Maybe Gen Z. I, I think 17 and 18 are now Gen Z. You're, you're like oh, the old man. guys soon, Mark. You, you soon will be a boomer to whatever comes after Gen Z. 
Uh, no, thank and you. I, I Not think looking forward to whatever about comes that after yet. Gen Z comes pretty soon. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, let's move on to another topic instead of going down that path. <laughs> I don't want to feel that quite yet. Nope. Uh, the, the next story comes from just this last week, uh, where Orange España, which is Spain's second largest uh, mobile operator, had a fairly major outage last week after an attacker logged into their Ripe NCC account and modified their BGP routing table. Uh, so Ripe NCC, it's the European Regional Internet Registry for IP address allocation. Basically, it's where you as an organization can get IP addresses allocated to you. You configure your BGP autonomous system numbers or ASNs to say where those IP addresses originate or route to uh, on the internet. So you would suspect that this is a pretty critical secure. service and one you'd want yeah, yeah. to secure quite well uh, because if someone could just log in, they could change your route tables and change your BGP configuration and theoretically uh, intercept all traffic that would have been destined towards your IP addresses. We, we well, had a prediction a while ago that the, I mean, BGP, just to share how critical it is, like Mark is saying, uh, we said a hacker one day could take down the internet, like do a big, big DDoS attack of the internet, either through DNS or BGP, because BGP is pretty darn critical. So just like you said, any ISPs that manage parts of BS, uh, BGP for, for big parts of the world, they ought to be pretty darn secure. How many more acronyms do you think we can cram into the story? I'm gonna I think there's more coming because we're soon going to be talking about a security mechanism BGP uses, probably. <laughs> yeah. So before that though, the, the have, way have you mentioned ripe in, yet? <laughs> that's not the same uh, so acronym I'm talking about. The threat actor, they appeared under the name uh, Snow on some social media organizations and posted screenshots of them inside Orange's uh, ripe account, which included the email address associated with it. Another researcher uh, from the cybersecurity firm Hudson Rock went and searched through their database of credential theft and credential harvesting malware exports and found that that, I, that email address was a part of a information stealer dump uh, allegedly infecting a uh, Orange Espana computer. And it showed that the password that they had associated with this account was literally ripe admin, which I kudos mean, for easy to remember. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's the best thing. You, you you should pay most attention to your passwords being easy to remember. Why? Like this is this <laughs> literally controls the keys to your IP addresses and your routes to them. You are a mobile telecom, and your I don't, password I don't. is right admin. And there's no MFA on your account controlling any of this. There seems like the only thing that you could imagine is someone, I'm just going to do this temporarily because I'm in a hurry and I just need to get in, but I'll change it right away. And then they immediately get interrupted and forget to change it. To me, that's the only acceptable thing. And even that is not acceptable. It's just, it's pure insanity. It's, it's, it, uh, it's neglect. I mean, frankly, exactly. negligent. Now, I mean, to their credit, uh, Orange were pretty transparent during their response to this, um, both in like discussing the issue and basically fessing up to it. But ripe admin as a password for the keys to your IP address kingdom is pretty dang tough. Now, when it came to the uh, the modifications, this threat actor, uh, Snow, they initially started by just changing a few different route origins, which didn't really cause any major issue. Uh, but then they went ahead and changed the origin for several, I think there were slash 12 subnets uh, and slash 16 in some cases 
overriding a bunch of the existing origin advertisements for BGP and basically sinkholing a bunch of traffic that should have been uh, destined for or coming from Orange's networks. Now, funny enough, you mentioned another acronym we're going to chat about here. These BGP announcements that the threat actor was modifying and creating were failing validation for RPKI, uh, which is resource public key infrastructure, basically a way to uh, cryptographically sign a BGP announcement so that someone else can't spoof it without also compromising your private key for that. But because the threat actor didn't have the key to sign these announcements, most backbone carriers then dropped the advertisement, which effectively sinkholed the connections because these announcements were coming from the quote unquote legitimate orange. There wasn't anything else out there available. And so they just failed. In comparison, like what would normally happen if Orange was operating normally and I attempted to issue an announcement for one of their ranges. The backbone carriers would ignore my announcement because it's not cryptographically signed, but Ripe's actual one would keep chugging along and nothing would happen. Um, So basically, it doesn't look like the threat actor was trying to intercept any traffic at all. They were basically, they logged in and they were just like a dog that caught up with the car and they were trying to see what they could do with it. And they ultimately issued a denial of service against several uh, routes owned by Orange. This, this is purely speculative and it would put them into gray hat research. It would put them into gray hat research, not not good guys for sure. But my guess is this person falls more under security researcher or gray hat than criminal as I bet that the way they were, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they were experimenting to get to being able to do something bad, but it looks like they were kind of trying to see how much uh, level of access they really had. And the DDoS might've been like, they weren't doing, they could have easily done something very bad. And they may not have known enough about even things like, uh, you know, what you're talking about, RPKI, to realize the DDoS effect they would have caused. I'm picking up what you're putting down, and that does make sense. I, I would say if there are any security researchers that listen to this podcast, if don't you gain do access that. to something like this, do not do that. That is not I mean, how you I mean, first validate. of all, e- even if you publicly get that password, the second you log on with a stolen credential, you are doing unauthenticated access unless you ask. So that's why I said gray hat, because real researchers... Hey, if, if you want to help uh, Orange fix their stuff, you can contact them and get permission to pen test and do this stuff. But actually authenticating to production servers, even if you don't mean to do anything bad, is is like you say, it's illegal. You become criminal by doing that. I'm And I, again, I'm just speculating that perhaps this person was, I as much as we say that, you shouldn't do that. I do think there's been a number of Grey Hat security researchers who have tested their their things to make sure, even though they haven't done anything bad. And who there's that one New York Times hacker I used to follow. He was known as the homeless hacker. I wish I could remember names who who did. He, he, he'd end up, the, the company would forgive him because he would go and share all his findings and not do anything bad. But he was actually breaking the law because he was hacking into their network, leaving some sort of flag or something to show them he got there. Uh, and then after, wasn't asking permission to do it. So I agree with you, Mark. Do not do this if you really want to be a white hat research attacker. Get permission. Uh, but I do think some some people might push the line a little bit. And this uh, is where this like guy pushed it a... too far accidentally. This is why you shouldn't do it. You can cause an accident that will do something bad that really makes you into a criminal. 
pushed it way too far. And this is where, yeah. like, as a organization like us at WatchGuard, like having a publicly available rules of engagement for external researchers to easily find and follow. That's why it's so important. Like if you go to pcert.watchguard.com, we've got our vulnerability disclosure uh, and vulnerability disclosure policy and rules of engagement in there as well too, which basically it boils down to, you know, don't do anything criminal or do anything that would compromise our customers. But as long as you are uh, in good faith trying to find vulnerabilities without compromising data, like we're not going to sue you into oblivion as long as you work with us responsibly. And that's how most my, organizations Mike was in the way, but for people watching YouTube, you can actually see uh, the piece resource we were talking about, uh, including uh, our responsible disclosure page. So like Mark said, yeah. com will show you how to report vulnerabilities if you're just reporting a vulnerability. Uh, but if you want to know about our disclosure practice, check it out for sure. Yeah. And it basically boils down to as long as you're not a jerk and you're not trying to extort us, like we'll work with you to resolve the issue, give credit. And if it's within scope for our bug bounty program, we'll kick you over there in order to potentially get a bounty payout for it as well, too. And this is how like this is why having a vulnerability disclosure policy as a like manufacturer or company is so important. And why as a researcher, you should always look for those rules of engagement and have either explicit permission or implicit permission from these rules of engagement before doing anything at all uh, for an organization. Like Corey said, like even logging in is technically a breach of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act if you don't have permission. But the, I mean, the good news is Orange recovered fairly quickly from this. Presumably, they enabled multi-factor authentication and changed their crappy password. Uh, Presumably. <laughs> this, this is... Yet another example of just getting bit in the behind by poor password practices as an organization. Maybe it's time to kill the password for ripe NCC. What do you think, Corey? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Anyways, move on to the next story. Uh, so this one actually started a few months ago, uh, but I it was brought to my attention after stumbling across a a research article from a researcher named uh, Greg Lesnowich, um, oh. where they posted their analysis of a new macOS backdoor that they called Spectral Blur. Uh, so now this was initially discovered uh, while monitoring a suspicious domain they found uh, with links to a threat actor that they were tracking. They decided to start monitoring this domain on VirusTotal. And ultimately, they found a file that someone downloaded called .macshare uh, from a subdomain of this domain that they were monitoring. Uh, pausing for a second, uh, a file that starts with a dot or a period on macOS will hide it in the finder file lookup system thing, unless you've got uh, visibility into the hidden files turned on. So it's a good way to mask your activity if you're trying to hide something as a threat actor. Now, at the time, and even up until now, the sample was not flagged as malicious by any engine on VirusTotal, but it piqued their interest to go analyze it. Um, so Greg initially did an analysis, and then another researcher, Corey, what was his name, followed up with... Uh, a Patrick Wardle. Yeah, Patrick Wardle yeah. is... Uh, he's a Mac-focused researcher. He's spoken at DEF CON almost every year, and he, he's one that, for instance... Uh, Broke Little Snitch, which was a, is a cool Mac OS host-based, application-based firewall. He's he's broken into lots of not just Mac uh, third-party software, but Mac OS software. So Mac-focused researcher. 
he didn't find yeah. it, but he did some additional, as you can probably see if you're a video viewer, analysis of spectral blur. Yeah. So spectral blur, it's got similarities to the candy corn macOS backdoor uh, that North Korea's Lazarus group was seen used uh, relatively recently. It operates as a pretty typical backdoor that you would expect. It's got encryption to hide its configuration and communications to the command and control server. It's got capabilities to erase files or download files or delete files, upload them, can run basic shell commands as well too, update its own configuration, and even control sleep and hibernation on macOS. Um, but the interesting thing is that it went completely uncaught by anti-malware engines for such a long period of time, from August even until Even Mac Korea. Gatekeeper, right? I, I mean, uh, we for yeah. Gate Gatekeeper, they, Mac won't really talk about antivirus stuff, but Gatekeeper does include antivirus capabilities and hashes for lots of known Mac malware. Uh, but yep. I believe even that did not catch it. So there's not a lot of information on how exactly this backdoor would end up on a macOS system. We just know it was downloaded from a malicious website. Uh, its file type wouldn't make it automatically executable. So you'd have to guess that it came or was delivered and launched via like a malware loader on macOS or potentially a, a script-based attack. Uh, but I mean, Corey, it seems like the house of cards is falling for macOS and it's no longer the uh, completely <laughs> unhackable machine that we once thought it was. Because it always has been totally unhackable, man. It's it's always been bulletproof. <laughs> exactly. I hope everyone can hear our sarcasm meter because that's always been BS marketing. Although I, we say this a lot of times, I will say that Mac OS had a lot of smart OS-based security functions. They separated root from uh, privileged user long before Windows did. Not not as early as Linux per se or Unix, but but they did well there. But yeah, no. <laughs> I think uh, I think now that the market is caught up and, and more engineers use Mac because it really has that lovely BSD core, uh, you're going to see more and more Mac malware. Yeah, which means that you probably shouldn't skimp on protecting Macs and make sure you do have advanced. <laughs> probably you shouldn't. You should should not. <laughs> uh, we only run our Macs with uh, EPDR or our older version eighty three sixty, which is the same, just slightly different. <laughs> A nice shade of blue versus a shade of red. There you go. <laughs> uh, anyways, moving on to the last story, though. This one was super interesting. Um, so Microsoft published a blog post at the end of December, uh, right before New Year's, detailing their analysis of threat actor activity attributed to several storm groups. So storm in their naming convention, meaning different clusters of activity that they haven't decided is a standalone threat actor yet as well as Sangria Tempest, which, Corey, pop quiz time, what does Tempest mean in Microsoft's naming convention? I, I would not China. Is it China? Nope. I, I'm trying to. It's, it's where they have those storms. I forget. I forget. Pop quiz failure. It is a financially motivated threat actor. Oh, there we go. And that yep. should, I should have known that just because of the Microsoft's blog title. Exactly. Uh, so anyways, beginning in mid-November of last year, they found threat actors in these groups were using the ms-app installer URI scheme to distribute and install malware. Um, so I think we've talked about URI protocol handlers before and using them to exploit different applications, but real quick refresher on them. Uh, you know how, Corey, you can go and accept like a Zoom meeting invite link, 
And when you open it up in your browser, it'll automatically pop open Zoom, the application yeah. on your desktop. I'm guessing it does yeah. that through these URI protocol handlers. Basically, instead of HTTP colon slash slash something, you could have Zoom colon slash slash something. People and have probably you, seen things like file colons. Like when we talk about URI, people lots of times think URL and just think like the web, www, HTTP, HTTPS. But there's file, there's a lot of URI handlers and the application specific ones are obviously like you said, Zoom or GoToMeeting. Yep. I wonder if GoToMeeting has one, probably. I think so. It's like GTM GoTo or something. Yeah. But in your operating system, you can typically automatically behind the scenes uh, associate these different URIs with a specific application to handle that URL. So like using the Zoom one as an example, it would open Zoom with the contents of that URL and then Zoom would use those parameters in order to join you up to a meeting. In the case of MS-App Installer, it would pop open the Microsoft App Installer program uh, which is basically a streamlined way for a user to install an application downloaded from a website. So it pops up like a little window, gives you some information about the app, like its publisher or um, even some of its permission grants that it's requesting, and then just asks you, do you want to install it and do you want to launch it after you install it? And it's separate from downloading a .exe or .msi through your web browser and then running that. Uh, which means it also bypasses some of the protections that you would have in the case of a traditional executable or MSI. For example, Microsoft Smart Screen, basically that filter that protects you from downloading some types of uh, executable applications uh, from untrusted sources like the internet, uh, bypasses in-browser protection, like in Chrome, if you download an executable, it'll yell at you and say, hey, this is an executable. Are you sure you want to run it? It's probably unsafe. In this case, it just gives you that pop-up window asking you if you want to install it or not. Um, so in the examples they gave in their blog post, they showed a couple of interesting ones. There was like a spoofed Zoom website uh, where when you go to download Zoom from here, it would look like it's installing Zoom. But if you looked closely at the publisher, it was Legion LLC. Uh, in this particular example, it executed a malware payload called Batloader which then ultimately drops a Cobalt Strike beacon. They found the threat actors later using our clone to steal data and then deploying the Black Basta ransomware variant, which is, I think, one of the top three ransomware variants at this point in time right now. One of our researchers, uh, Ryan, talks about it a lot. Yeah. Uh, another example they had was a pretty interesting, from in my opinion, from a terrible threat actor point of view, uh, like spoof of a SharePoint slash OneDrive file storage space, where when you land it on this page, it looks like it's a SharePoint page full of PDF files. Uh, but if you click on it, instead of like downloading a file, it pops up a little window that says your PDF reader is out of date and you need to update it. And if you hit the OK button, it uses the app installer URI handler to attempt to install a, quote, Adobe protected PDF viewer which in this case, the publisher was Diamonds with a Z, Consulting uh -huh. Limited. Uh, obviously, by the way, we're sure if, if you see the video, the reason we mentioned the publisher says Diamonds is if if you ever, one, if you get a pop-up at a website that Adobe's out of, out of date, that's like an immediate sign. It, it could be true very, very rarely, but it should be coming directly from your OB, Adobe app, not the website. And look at that publisher because the publisher darn right should be Adobe. It should not be Diamonds Consulting or the one we mentioned before. Yeah. And in most of the cases, these publishers, they're actually 
set up as kind of fake shell publishers so that the threat actor can gain a cryptographic signing key so they can actually sign these applications to give them yeah. some credibility. It's, it's, it's a legitimate, perfectly digitally fine signed package from someone. It's just not the someone you want. <laughs> It is extremely easy to get a signing certificate for Microsoft applications, by the way. All you need is a LLC registered somewhere or even just a personal name somewhere and proof that you are like a quote unquote legitimate organization, which is really just a questionnaire and then like 200 bucks and then boom, you get a signing key. Uh, now, it isn't a the same as like a signing key that could sign drivers or other like privileged applications, but it will at least let you sign your own Adobe protected PDF viewer to then distribute through this app installer URI scheme. Um, interestingly, one last little fact from this Adobe one, those links were originally distributed through Teams messages. Basically, threat actors would join up as a guest to victims, teams, groups or channels and then post these links to claiming to be file downloads or PDF files, uh, which instead was this fake PDF viewer download. Um, they also had another example of a, a fake network security tool called Perimeter 81, presumably to trick people into downloading, installing fake anti-malware software on their network. Now, at the end of all this, Microsoft actually took the step of disabling the MS app installer URI handler entirely by default in the latest version of their uh, app installer release. Um, so if you update your Windows OS to the latest version, presumably you'll get this latest application version. And now at least these won't automatically pop up the installation window if you get tricked into clicking on one of these links. I assume but there's I, a way to, to enable it. Like it's by default, which I think that's a good choice by Microsoft. But I have a feeling it's not going to. You have to admit these app URIs are are nice. I mean, a lot of us use Zoom or Teams or, or whatever the thing is. So I, I have a feeling they're disabled. But when you click one, you might get some pop up if you want to enable it or go. So the Zoom one will still like all the other ones will still work. It's specifically it's just the MS, MS it's the app installer it, colon yeah. whack whack whatever. That one will now no longer do anything. There's nothing registered gotcha. to it, so it just it's straight up. So it's not all your browser probably, it's, and nothing yeah. will happen. Cool. Because um, like you said, like these do have legitimate uses. Like I like being able to click on a meeting invite link or a webinar invite link, and having it automatically open that application Launch for the right me. application. Yeah. But I don't like clicking on a fake file download and having it attempt to install an Adobe PDF reader on my machine. That's no bueno. I'm glad they definitely release or disabled the MS one. But you could still protect yourself from this if even if it was enabled because of that pop up. So I think the other practical tip is even if it's a Zoom, I, I, I bet you other URIs might be able to do something similar. I, not all URI. I mean, Zoom doesn't download anything. It just loads the application. but somebody might find someone's application URI and find a way to download something through it, but they might be that pop-up we were seeing where there's something like a publisher. So be suspicious of any link you click on that creates pop-ups asking you to install something. In the same way you check if a domain is really the right domain, check every part of a message that says, hey, this is a Adobe package, but it comes from Mark's basement. Do you want to install it? They don't spill the beans on my super secret hacking collective Mark's basement <laughs> LLC. And Man, Mark is I mean, way the other, smarter than that. Mark actually would use a, a Corey's a basement that LLC. To, False flag. 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, the reality is like, like you said, there's multiple ways to catch this. Also, presumably even installing the app, any endpoint protection worth its salt probably would have detected the, the malware file itself as uh, as malicious. But like you said, uh, treating any link with skepticism, regardless of the URI protocol it's using is pretty important these days. Either that or just, I don't know, stop answering email and stop clicking on Teams links and maybe just unplug everything and we can go back to the Stone Age and we never have to deal with hacking again. <laughs> if people I'm are getting still closer using closer to... passwords like ripe admin mark, I might actually want to do that Stone Age because obviously it's feeling like a good idea. they can't use technology. There's that old tech support joke where eventually tech support gets to the instructions. Okay, uh, turn it off, unplug it, find the cardboard box, send it back to us. You don't get to use technology. <laughs> I like that's, it. <laughs> that's what might happen to people that use ripe admin as their password. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But to the rest of us, at least we can learn from others' poor choices. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Instagram, I guess, at WatchGuard. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should get on that. I don't know. I, I'm hesitant to ever use X ever again because I was told to go F myself by the owner. But anyways, <laughs> thanks again for listening. And <laughs> We are on Instagram. Our producer lets us know. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Peace. At WatchGuard underscore technologies.